Welcome to Galaxy of Toys, a discussion about Star Wars toys of the past, present, and future. This is our 20th episode. My name is Jason, and joining me tonight from IGrewUpStarWars.com, OT Curmudgeon, Tom. Hello, Tom. Greetings, everybody. What a great night to uh, have a little podcast here. <laughs> hey, and you, made it, you got your computer started, and uh, you made it on time, and Ryan doesn't have to fill in for you for the intro or anything no no i still have to find some kind of revenge from uh <laughs> ryan's little uh i i was totally being set up and and when i was coming on the last time i knew i was in for a treat and uh ryan does not disappoint that's for sure <laughs> all right from jedibusiness.com we have chris b hello chris hey what's up everybody from Bendems to the Black Series. He collects them all. Our good friend Ryan. Hey, Ryan. Hey, how's it going, guys? And tonight we have a special guest, director, producer, filmmaker, Chris Mott. Hello, Chris. Hello, hello. Looking forward to being on the show tonight, guys. Glad to have you on. Recently, we just, uh, Ryan and I just recently watched your uh, your movie, uh, The Force Within Us, sequel to The Force Among Us. Hopefully you enjoyed it. We did. We did. And we will definitely get into it, uh, into the movie uh, later on. I'm sorry, later on in the show. But uh, glad to have you on. Hey, it's, it's an honor to be on the show, man. I love talking toys all the time, but something about Christmas and Star Wars toys go hand in hand, you know? Yes. Totally agree. Totally agree. Would this be uh, the closest podcast we've got to Christmas here, Jason, right? So is this our Christmas podcast? This is our Christmas (laughs) podcast. This is our Christmas podcast. (laughs) There you go. Yeah. Wow. That's some crazy feedback. What do you get a Wookie for Christmas when he already owns a comb? What do you get a Gungan for Christmas when he already owns a toothbrush? What do you get a Gungan when he needs a shovel to the face? (laughs) Did you guys see my Gungan toothbrush? I did. It's awesome, isn't it? It is awesome. Mm. Nothing like having Jar Jar's tongue to hold your toothbrush in it. uh... If that's what you need to get through life, Jason, so be it. So be it. Enjoy it. All right. So remember, you can contact us by emailing us at galaxyoftoys at gmail.com. Remember, if you have any complaints about the show, send them directly to Tom at uh, yes. com. <laughs> That's right. I will I will take your emails and Tom, ignore them. Tom fields the complaints, but if you have anything good to say about our show, email us at, gmail, at galaxyoftoys at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash galaxyoftoys, Twitter at galaxyoftoys, listen to us on iTunes. Stitcher Smart Radio and yes, Zoom. Okay. <laughs> Didn't Zoom stop? I, I, I thought Zoom stopped to uh, do Well, I got stuff. an email saying it was going to stop November 22nd, but it is still running. I've still been uh, uploading, All downloading right. podcasts on it, so still there. 
you know, we really haven't caught up with what's new in in Star Wars toys in quite a while. And maybe that's because there's really not a whole lot new to talk about. But I just thought I'd run it around the room and see uh, if anybody's noticed anything new out there and or anything that caught your attention. Um, Tom, I'll start with you since you tend to keep up on these things. No. Chris, what have you found? No, I haven't. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not looking. I'm not. Every time, every once in a while, I'm in Target. I'll stop by the toy aisle and take a, a glance, and then, and uh, kind of ask myself, why haven't? Uh, why doesn't uh, Target carry Playmobil, and why doesn't Playmobil do Star Wars toys? But until that time, I will probably be not spending a whole lot of time in the toy aisle. Chris, have you? Are there any new uh, Star Wars toy announcements that you've seen since the last time we talked about upcoming items? No, n- nothing at all. Nothing. No. You think that's no, a good no sign, a bad sign, or do you think they're just holding out till Toy Fair? No, it's just you know. I think this this time around we just don't get any new announcements usually. Yeah. I mean, we got Toy Fair coming up in like what two months from now. That's right. So I would expect something by the middle of January, or you know, some leaks or something, but. Are you guys anticipating anything? I'm anticipating everything. <laughs> I, I would probably say Rebels at least. Rebels, yeah. Oh, really? Isn't it a little too early for that? It comes out in the fall next year. I think the it's movie. still a little too early for with that. A, but... With a movie coming out this summer, supposedly, right? Right. Are they? I hadn't heard that I one. heard like an hour, well, maybe not a movie, like an hour-long special this summer. Okay. Kind of like I, heard, I heard, I heard, I'm, I'm, I'm... I think I've got it on uh, good authority to expect uh, our uh, little troop transport to play a role in that uh, mm-hmm. in that little uh, little production. So I'm hoping that'd be cool. Chris Mock, anything uh, anything caught your eye that you've noticed that's going to be coming out soon, or does it look dead for you as well? You know, there's so much stuff that's out there, and there's so much stuff that I've missed. That um, and I got to agree with Tom. The, the the toy aisles just suck. You know, I think it's. In our nature to go to the toy aisle when we go to a, a Target or Walmart or a Toys R Us or what have you, and there's just nothing, nothing there. But if you go online, there's so many cool Star Wars items available mm-hmm. online, and, and with, there's so much stuff that comes out. Of course, with Hasbro, you know they're they're the biggest toy line, you know, uh, manufacturer. That you know sometimes we get caught up in just their items, but there's so many like. I just saw when I went to Disney. Disney's got a lot of cool items, and I'm, I was always into the Disney Star Wars stuff. But you know, they got like the Wampa um, Winter Hat. Uh, that, that's probably been out for a while. I, I just told my wife that I wanted the um, the Wampa Ice Scraper to scrape <laughs> the ice off my window. Whoa, 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 whoa! There's a Wampa Ice Scraper. Yeah, there is. I've seen that. That sounds cool. There's so much cool stuff that oh. it's like it's it's kind of under the radar too, you know, and um. Like all this stuff on my Christmas list, uh, I still have a Christmas list. I'm 38 years old and I still have a list. <laughs> and uh, you know, th- there's so much stuff under that's just not Hasbro. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. There, there's a lot of good stuff, and, and it's just so hard to get it all when it comes out. It's always nice to kind of backtrack. I think that kind of, you know, keeps the collection uh, growing and, and kind of keeps it fresh and new. That you can always go back and, you know, look online, look at internet stores, look on eBay. Mm-hmm. That's what but the toy aisles, no, nah, there, there's nothing appealing in those. 
Chris, what kind of uh, what kind of Star Wars collector are you? What do you, what do you go for? Are you, do you go for the random item, or are you uh, get them all, or what kind of? Uh, well, I used to, I used to be a get them all kind mm-hmm. of guy, but uh, I don't have room for that anymore. So I started liquidating my my collection, mm-hmm. and I'm really you know focusing on the vintage pieces that I I, I lost or misplaced or got ruined, and um, you know all the oddball items like the uh, the Hawthorne villages. You know, the Wampa ice scraper, the Disney items, um, you know, that, that sort of thing. So the stuff that you really can't find in the toy aisle is what I go for, you know? Yeah, cool. I do, I do like the, uh, Gentle Giant, um, jumbo, uh, figures. You know, I, I just picked up, God, I spent, spent a good penny because it wasn't cheap for retail at retail, but they did the, um, the droid three pack. Oh yeah. That, so that's available. It's available. It oh, was a okay. website exclusive to somebody else mm-hmm. and i just picked up that and then of course four days after i picked that up they did a cyber monday week long sale and you got a free um four loam with with it and i and i totally bought it early so i i kind of screwed myself on that uh so I, I just picked up that you know that's really cool and uh they also did just release a uh empire strikes back yoda but it's on a Christmas card, and he's decked out in Christmas gear. I don't know if you could still get that one. And I'm a huge Christmas um, uh, crossover collector. You know, I collect the ornaments and any, all the T-shirts and anything that has uh, Star Wars and Christmas tied up into one. I'm, I'm always a big fan of those. Cool. Hey, talking about uh, uh, Star Wars and Christmas and clothing, you guys remember the T-shirt that came out last year? Um, I think it was at Sears where they had um, a Tie Fighter, I think, was on it, and and uh, an Adat, but it was all like done in snowflakes. So was that the just... ugly sweater T-shirt? Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you guys know if that came out again? Because I missed it last uh, last year. I, I missed I it too. I haven't seen it, but I heard there's shorts that have the same pattern this year. Hmm. There's quite a bit of shirts that have the, the like the bad. Um... Christmas sweater uh, design. I actually just picked up one. Um, God, I can't remember the guy's name that designed it, but it's a it's a it's a sweater looking shirt, and it's Chewbacca's face, and it says Happy Life Day. Oh, nice. <laughs> really? That'd be something for Tom. Something yeah, that's for right up my alley. Nice, <laughs> nice. Yeah. Well, cool. even though there's not a lot of new new news to talk about, um, I did notice that Amazon.com has that six-pack of uh, Star Wars Legacy Collection Droid Factory figures. It's on sale right now. I believe it's just $23.99. Yep. So, you know, I kind of said I wasn't going to get this earlier uh, earlier in the year because the figures just didn't interest me enough. But at that price, I think um, I think I should get on this one. Yeah, I ordered another one at that price. What are you waiting for, man? <laughs> it's like, it's well, like $3 well, for a well, well, like, well, like Chris, I have a, I have a, um, a, a Christmas list too. So, and it's on there. So, <laughs> I think, I think when something is that inexpensive, it's like you got to go for it. Yeah. Know? Yeah. I could always just have a set of openers too, right? But, yeah. But yeah, that's a really good deal. Yeah. Now, another thing that's out now are the, uh, wave, what the wave two of the black series six inch figures and the three and three quarter inch yeah yeah well let's just talk about the six inch figures for a sec 
Boba Fett's pretty much impossible to find. Anybody? Can anybody confirm that with me? I've seen him pop up online, like on Amazon and Hasbro Toy Shop and that, but I have not. I haven't seen any of the Wave Two in stores yet. I actually just ordered most of mine through Amazon the other day. Did you get the Boba Fett? No, I didn't, and I'm not sure because I'm still working. I'm working on a deal to get the the sideshow. Or the, not the Sideshow, the San Diego Comic-Con exclusive. Mm-hmm. And if I get that, I really don't need the Boba Fett, because it's supposed to be pretty much exactly the That's same. That's true. So. Well, I... Um, so I'm working through that. Chris, did you order the... Did you get the Boba Fett, just the, the single the single figure that's... Um, I, I did, yeah. I ordered the case off of uh, Entertainment Earth, and because the case has one of each from, from the second wave. Okay. Hmm. Um, and, you know, um, I mean, the figures, the... Uh, San Diego Comic Con exclusive Boba Fett with the Han and Carbonite, um, compared to the other individual package version, they're just very, very minor paint differences. Mm. Um, so if, if you already have the San Diego Comic Con version, you don't really need the single, single one. Mm. But I have been avoiding the stores, um, so, because I just, you know, don't find anything new on the store shelf, so I, I just stopped going there, like, I don't know, two weeks ago or something like that, so. Yeah, I've been pretty much avoiding the stores too. I just haven't been up for it. But I did, you know, occasionally I still go out and I did notice Toys R Us has the 31 inch clone trooper, the 501st trooper. Have you guys seen that? I haven't seen it yet. No. No. I saw it. Are you going to get it, Chris? No, but it looked nice though. I I liked it. Do you think the helmet's a little too small for the body? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Kind of takes away from it. Yeah, that's that's the reason I I didn't get it. Because. I looked at it. I was like, "Oh man, you know, I don't want to be too picky because I know it's, you know, it's for kids and everything, you know." But it's it's not a sideshow statue, you know. But the helmet did feel a little small, so I kind of passed on it. And did you see they announced uh, they're going to make a uh, Darth Maul 31 inch figure? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I heard yeah. that. That might be cool. Yeah. Here's my question. Uh, I, I I've seen this. Those 31 inch figures, they're awesome. Like the the Vader, I actually have two of them now, um, and. I'm looking at that. You could go to Costco and you can buy the Vader for thirty bucks. It comes with sounds in it and a lightsaber, right? Mm-hmm. Thirty bucks, brand new sculpt, looks awesome, thirty-one inches tall. And yet, to buy a gentle giant, twelve-inch um, version of a vintage figure is what, like eighty bucks, seventy, eighty bucks? Yes. That uses an old mold. <laughs> and, uh, why? Why can Gentle Giant charge so much for something that's smaller that uses an old mold, whereas Jax can put out this awesome new thing? for so much less. It makes absolutely no sense. I th- other, than, other than they're just gouging people on uh, vintage nostalgia. I think I think what they do is they, they really try to decide what's the maximum price we can charge for this and have people still buy it. I, you and, know, and I would they're I would them. buy more of those. I would buy more of those Gentle Giant 12-inch if they were cheaper. When they first hit, I was like, the Stormtrooper was like 60, 65, whatever it was at San Diego, and I was like, well, that's cool, but that seems way too much for that. I mean, I could see those things maybe maybe forty dollars at kind of a maximum level, but mm-hmm. uh, it, the prices on those is just way too much. I, I, I would, me personally, I probably would have the whole line if they were cheaper. Yeah, I probably yeah, would too. I, I would too, and I, I looked on eBay for those, and uh, even loose, even loose, those things are going for like sixty bucks. You know, without right. even the, the packaging. Yeah. I, I can't believe that they. Release the Wampa with the Luke. Well, you get. I think if you order the Wampa, you get the Luke Hoth for free. But the Wampa is four hundred dollars. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I would. I would plan on buying that. It's unbelievable. I, I can't spend any kind of money on on a freaking one, one piece. You know. <laughs> no kidding. I was planning on buying the Wampa, and I'm like four hundred dollars. I mean, 
Like a sideshow mythos statue is less than that. Or the sideshow quarter scale statues are, are less than that. I mean, it's like, wow. That's insane. It's yeah. just absolutely insane. Yeah, they, they are overpriced. But I do think, though, comparing Channel Giant with Jack Specific is, is comparing apples and oranges. Because, you know, a company like Channel Giant doesn't have that wide of a reach. You know, like their their audience is just the collector's market, basically. Whereas you have, you know, like a, a retailer like Costco who's just mass distributing all over the nation to, like, you know, parents and kids and stuff. So, uh, you know, they, they sell a, a completely different amount of, a di- different quantity of those things than Channel Giant ever could do, you know. So I can see why they're more, but, you know, I still agree that they're overpriced, though. Yeah, no, I, I understand. Let's just say, that's why I say $40 on them. Because honestly, they to me, they should be more like $20, realistically, for what it is. But it, because you have to go through their site and everything, I could see 40 bucks. I mean, I... I'd really, I'm really curious of what the markup is on that, like how much it actually costs to make one of those, because it can't be much. If Hasbro can churn out those cheap, uh, as many people call them, shampoo bottles, which have about the same articulation as a Gentle Giant one, um, for 10 bucks a piece, mm-hmm. you know, $40 doesn't seem that far of, a, of an idea on, on something like that. Well, on the, uh, the 12-inch figures, the, ones, the, the shampoo bottle figures, they're like 5 or 6 bucks on Amazon right now. Right. Awesome. So, Those are yeah. great. Those are great. I hope that line continues. <laughs> Tom. You, you and me probably, Jason, are the only ones. Like, everybody else is like, I know. what the hell are you guys talking about? <laughs> those are toys in their purest form. When those, first, when those first came out, though, weren't those 20 bucks? No, they uh, were 10. They were like 10. You know, I think tar- some stores had them for twelve ninety nine, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Tom, it's funny. I, I never heard of them referred to as the shampoo bottle, but when I saw <laughs> them, I thought of the shampoo bottle right away. You know, yeah. like the, the vintage, the vintage shampoo bottle. So it's kind of a a new item that's got a vintage look. You know. Yeah, yeah. Tom, you earlier this year you were talking about considering getting the uh, Gentle Giant uh, Jumbo Wampa. Are you still uh, thinking about it? Uh, still thinking about it. Uh, when Chris mentioned the three pack, that sounded really cool. But mm-hmm. my God, if, can you imagine a three pack in that size? You're probably looking at about a queen size bed, the size of a queen size bed. There, isn't it? This <laughs> is huge. Um, I would, I would go ahead, Chris. Uh, it's it's pretty big. I had to make a lot of room for it on the wall. It was kind of ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. I'm uh, I'm I'm still considering it. Um, I don't know what it's up to or I, i'm hoping maybe i can get a, a cheaper little uh, deal here soon for just the wampa yeah yeah uh pretty cool what can you man now those those gentle giant figures are just awesome i don't I've, I've never bought any gentle giant products so i'm not sure what happens like when the items don't sell well do they do they do like significant markdowns like let's say the wampa doesn't sell at 400 will they mark it down and Six months. Um, that's a good question. I really haven't seen any huge savings on those yet, mm-hmm. uh, because oh. all of the ones I know of have sold out rather quickly. Okay. Uh, from Gentle Giant, I mean, there might be some overstock at some of these internet, uh, you know, uh, vendors and stuff. But uh, I don't know, uh, Ryan. What do you think? Do you have any uh- info on that? I've seen Gentle Giant stuff go on sale on their website, usually just older stuff that didn't sell through as well. Um, but those 12-inch, I mean, this goes against everything I was just saying about that they're overpriced and everything because they do sell out. I mean, they, they yeah, keep yeah, selling out yeah. of them. I, I, I'm curious to see. Well, I don't know maybe if they just produce the number of what they 
what people order or what, but like when they get to Bespin Guard, I mean, is that really going to sell out? <laughs> when they get to Lobot, I'm for sure going to get one. Well, we know well, you're going to get Lobot, Jason. So that's Jedi, like, Lobot like we discussed, I'm sure FX7 also is going to be a huge seller too. It's, so it's sad that I have to wait another probably three years for Lobot, but no, it's it's coming, Jason. It's coming. It's coming maybe sooner than you think. I, I'm scared if I get one though, I'll want more than just the one. That's that's. You, know, you will. You will. Collector mentality. Yeah. They, every time I see them, I want to buy more. And I'm like, I've only bought the Fett and the Vader, and I'm just sticking. Mm. I'm trying to stick with that. When they start coming mm. out with Jedi figures is when it's going to get hard for me. Go ahead, Chris. You know, I, I attend a lot of toy shows, collector shows, and that, and there's always uh, dealers that are gentle giant um, vendors, I guess. Um, you know, and, and they, they always, I don't know if they're committed to buying so much, but you can usually... Find those jumbo 12-inch figures for maybe around 50, 60 bucks at the shows if if you look at the right time, at mm-hmm. the right time. But they do go they do go fast. I remember at Celebration last year, Brian's Toys had got about a dozen of those things, and they were right across from the table that I was a guest at, and I kept looking at them. They had like uh, the Death Star. Uh, the Death Squad Commander for like forty bucks, and I'm like, oh, I should really buy those. And then, sure enough, by the end of the day, they won. They, they were all gone. So you can't find them for a deal. I I doubt on the Gentle Giant website though. I think you gotta kind of find uh, dealers that are stuck with them or committed to purchasing them. Okay. Yeah, I like. Uh, I if I had the chance, I'd probably go back and get myself another C3PO and R2. Those are just man. They those are really cool. So when the what what happens when they release the jumbo land speeder and it's you know twelve hundred well I'm I'm going to use that to commute I'm going to use that to commute to work I'm going to throw an engine in that thing and uh, yeah it's going to be great I got to say those are the coolest things that Gentle Giant has put out you know and they they put out a lot of cool stuff but as a as a junkie for the vintage stuff you know I'm right with Tom man you can't you can't beat those figures they're really really cool. They, they are a little overpriced, like Ryan said, but yeah, I, I think that's how they get us. You know, they they put out the coolest item, and they're like, yeah, we're going to rake you over to Coles one more time. Well, you know, there's a few that they really kind of screwed up. They had the uh, the Sand People cape wasn't quite the same color, and and the, the big oversight that everybody was kind of fuming about was the fact that Princess Leia was kind of an off-white rather than a, a pure white the costume that she had for when the figure was new. I think they might have used some older uh, kind of a degraded reference, but uh, anybody who's worth their salt in uh, vintage would know that, uh, you know, the, the Princess Leia was, was pure white when she came out. Maybe, so Maybe they're just going for the – maybe, you know, those Leia figures tend to tend to yellow over time, and maybe they're what just are you trying, laughing at? What are you laughing at, Ryan? Maybe they're trying to – Make it look even more vintage by uh, yellowing it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, just yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe. I don't know. Remember Christmas 1980. My my grandmother, my my dad's mom, gave me um, the uh, the Death Star. Uh, I, I'm sorry, n- not the Death Star, but the Star Destroyer. You know, the one with the chamber and the little red light. Oh yeah. Yep. Yep. And she gave me a Princess Leia action figure, and I'm like, was this for my sister? <laughs> She's like, no, that was for you. It's Star Wars, and I'm like, so I and I actually gave it to my sister right after I opened it. I'm like, I I can't. 
I felt wrong playing with a, a Leia figure, you know, when I was five years old. So, but I actually <laughs> did have, I actually did have one. And then, you know, of course, my sister Courtney, uh, she she had all the all the Leia figures. Good stuff. That was actually the one character I had all of them for was Princess Leia. I had every Leia that they ever did. It wasn't that I sought that out. I just ended up that way or something. But yeah, I think I yeah, I don't I don't remember the uh, the the thought process of why. I mean, if I was if I was given the choice between a Han Solo, a Chewbacca, and a Leia, I would have definitely went with the first two. So who knows? One of the coolest figures though was Leia Bush. That, oh that yeah. Moment just one of the one of the best you know i between that and the lando uh the lando skiff guard but i think leia bush was uh one of the best figures from, from the vintage line from oh, the poncho one with the helmet and the poncho that was awesome yeah the poncho was was good too my biggest problem with the leia figures was uh not losing the blaster that she came with <laughs> she always which, came with a tiny blaster <laughs> and it's tiny and i and i always lost them of course and then uh, by the time I got a little bit older and Jedi was out, she came with an even smaller blaster, which was even well, harder harder to keep track of. Except right. For Leia, except for the Leia Bausch, which came with the giant gun. Right, but, right. But yeah, the, the poncho one, at least it could fit in the holster on it. So the, yeah. the one figure you could put that in the holster, yeah. that made it less likely to maybe to they get sh- lost. They should have glued it in like the Buck Rogers figures. <laughs> All right, let's... um. Let's take a just a slight turn from Star Wars for once. Normally we don't talk about other properties, but I thought this might be worth a mention is Oh boy. Disney has officially acquired, I think, all rights to the Indiana Jones franchise. Oh boy. My question is, are you excited? Is this a good thing? Is this a not good thing? Let's not start with Tom. Let's start with uh Chris B. Um yeah, I want to see more Indiana Jones movies as long as Harrison Ford is somehow involved in it. Mm-hmm. So, so you want to see new film, but Harrison Ford's got to be in him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he is. He is Indiana Jones to me. You know, um, you know if they can if they can somehow create a story how you know he kind of passes the torch on to a new generation. And I think they kind of tried to do that with the last movie, but for me that didn't quite work. But yeah, you know if if they can somehow make it so that you know a new generation kind of like moves into his spot. But I know. I mean, you know, the series is called Indiana Jones, and there's only one Indiana Jones, right? And to me, that's Harrison Ford. So, yeah, he, he would have to be involved uh, in order for me to be interested in that. Ryan? Well, um, as I, I don't know if the rest of you guys actually collect Indiana Jones, but I, I actually do. Um, I have all the vintage stuff as well as all the modern stuff, and I love it. And so part of me is like, ooh, new Indiana Jones movies, that means new toys, you know, hopefully. And maybe getting around to some of those figures they didn't Hasbro didn't produce or something. Actually, what I really like to see is more of the vehicles. Like, I'd still love to see the the tank from Last Crusade. It's one of my favorite vehicles. I'd love to have that in toy form. But um, at the same time, I'm I'm partial with Chris there that if it's Indiana Jones, it has to be Harrison Ford. And it's only at this point because Harrison Ford's been the only Indiana Jones. Basically, I mean, yeah, you can talk about River Phoenix being young Indian um, uh, Last Crusade, and then uh, the two people playing um, young Indian the the young Indiana Jones uh, Chronicles. But um, I mean, basically, it's Harrison Ford, right? Uh, for over 30 years, it's just been him. And if there had been a chance for them to really go off and have it be a different actor, it would have had to be done long ago. Like James Bond, you know, no, no actor. How, Roger Moore probably held it for the most number of years. Uh, how many was that, Jason? You probably know. Roger Moore was James Bond from 1973 until 1985. The best James Bond ever. The only James Bond. (laughs) Agreed, agreed. So 
No, for 12 <laughs> years. So he, he probably held the, the, the role of James Bond for 12 years. Of course, he was still the, the third James Bond done, uh, you know, the third actor to play that role. At this point, we've as far as motion picture, we'll put it this way, motion picture Indiana Jones, Harrison Ford's been the only one. At the same time, if the franchise is going to continue something, it, it can't just rely on Harrison Ford. Um, the man's 71 now. Uh, you know, How much longer is he going to be able to get out there and, and do a lot of stuff? The, the last film did was plagued with a few things of him not doing as many stunts as you saw him in before. Because he's older, he can't, and, and that makes sense. But at the same time, you still want to see that stuff. I mean, yeah, he got nuked in a fridge, but, you know... You want to see him, you know, dragged behind a truck and using his whip more and all that type of stuff. And I saw there were some people talking about the this acquisition, and, the, and somebody suggested that Indiana Jones finds the Fountain of Youth and then then uses that and becomes a younger person again, and then that's how you introduce a new actor. That's something I've seen. I, I, I don't know. It, it's it's an interesting idea. I definitely want to see personally at least one or two more with Harrison Ford. But you know, if I if Indiana Jones is going to continue somewhere, it's it's going to have to be with a different actor. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, some of the best stuff to mine from is that World War II stuff with fighting Nazis. And so you definitely have to go younger there, too. So now, I I that's my take. If it, if it gets me more toys, I'm happy, right? Yeah. <laughs> the rumor I heard was that, you know, the rumor that's kind of been floating around is that Harrison Ford would only do more Star Wars movies if they worked in a deal for him to do another Indiana Jones movie. Right, I, I remember reading that too. But I don't I mean I don't think anyone knows for sure if that's true. Right, uh, Chris Mocked, What are what are your thoughts on uh, Indiana Jones? Ryan, uh, Ryan pretty much said what uh, you know what was on my mind. Um, I've got you know I'm I'm a huge fan of Indiana Jones. I, I'm not a, a collector. I was rather disappointed with the last Indiana Jones movie that they did. I just think that's a franchise. That if they did continue, it would have to be like a James Bond thing. You know, somebody would have to play Indiana Jones. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't know, because I, I was so disappointed with the fourth one, and I'm such of a huge fan of the first one. That was on the, uh, God, I watched that last week, and it's just one of the all-time classic movies. I don't really think you can just keep reliving the past and um, keep coming out with what, the Indiana Jones franchise was all about. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Harris, Harrison Ford is 71 years old, God, man, I mean, it's going to take time to film Star Wars and Indiana Jones movies. He's he's not getting any younger. So, no. you know, if he's going to be in one, if he's going to be in another one, Indiana Jones movie, it's going to be one more, you know, at the most. Um, so, but, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll wait and see what happens. And just uh, kind of like the new Star Wars movies and kind of staying away from all the, all the all the hype and all the speculation because I want to go in this with like a, the clearest mind and the lowest of expectations. <laughs> okay, Tom, are you excited? Potential new Indiana Jones movie coming from Disney. Indiana Jones starts and stops with Harrison Ford. The problem is you've got a hero in the first three movies that you could not. Well, idolize, but kind of place yourself in that character. He's dashing. He's young. He's he's awesome. Uh, what we're left now with is an older Harrison Ford, not as dashing, not as young, not as interesting anymore. 
that's the problem that we've got, and that's the problem that we've got with the three main characters of Star Wars. They're not they're not people that they're not characters that anybody can really you know want to step in their shoes. They can't I don't know if you can really say I want to be an old, you know, Luke Skywalker anymore. I so, do. I think yeah, well, for the record, I Maybe do. you. Okay, fine. <laughs> But uh, do you know what I mean? I think that the franchise ended with uh, that that last one. I have to agree with Chris. It was just awful. So do you think it would be a mistake then for Harrison Ford to try to do another indie film? I just don't see where they can go with it. Uh, the older he gets, the timeline gets further and further out. You know, he was battling Nazis in the last, you know, um, in uh, Raiders and the uh, the... Crusade, Last Crusade. Yeah. So, what do you got now? I mean, what? Who is he going to be? Uh, who's he going to be dealing with? A bunch of hippies in the seventies so. or what? Well, late, right, that, late, late sixties now. The right, they'll be in the nineteen late sixties, early seventies. <laughs> he's uh, battling hippies. I just, I uh, don't. Yeah, it's <laughs> that uh, that time frame is 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 crummy, and I just, I don't know what they're going to do with it if they can do it. But the thing is, if they if they can do it, they're going to do it anyway. So if there was no indication, the, if if the last movie, the uh, Crystal Skull, was any indication, it's not going to get any better from here. That's what I think. Uh, to, to me, the funny thing is they they faked Harrison Ford's age for quite a while in those movies. He's always been playing himself younger, basically, uh, even in the in Crystal Skull. Well, and that's the thing. Like, he still he could back then. He could in in uh, in the first yeah, three movies. He, he was in his forties for the first three movies. Like he was right. never young. In the, he right, was never but young. he can't. He there's no way he can fake it anymore. But I mean, even in um, in Crystal Skull, I mean, they're saying that's in the fifties. So that would put Indy in his fifties. Well, Harrison Ford was in his sixties for that because it, Indiana Jones is actually was born in eighteen ninety nine. So as you go through the years, that's where he fits. <laughs> So if you went with Harrison Ford's age, yes, it would be Indiana Jones in the 1970s, which is really strange. Ridiculous. I'm Ridiculous. for it. I'm all for it. I think they should make another Indiana Jones movie with Harrison Ford. You know, the last I'm, one made totally $800 million, so plenty of people went to see it. But. I'm in line. I'm in line. Oh, well, this, there's yeah, because we all went to see it because we were hoping we'd see the last, you know, the first three movies, and we didn't get that. Listen, guys, drag Indiana Jones behind a truck now. He's going to fall apart. <laughs> <laughs> but see, that's the same thing with what they said about Sylvester Stallone uh, going back and doing another Rocky movie, right? And uh, yeah, I strangely, I, strangly enough, that seemed to work though, Chris, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. that Rocky. Yeah, the last one, the last Rocky was really good. Yeah, I really didn't worked. care for the, the fifth one that they did. No, um, but the last one was a really nice conclusion to the whole overall storyline, and and they worked really well. And the thing was, you know, like he was already pretty old. When he did the sixth one as well, and so people were thinking, like, you know, how is how is that going to look when he, when he's in the ring and stuff? And I mean, he he did pull it off, and uh, you know, I don't want to spoil the movie for people who didn't see it, but you know, yeah, it ended up. I think it was a tie at the end or something like that, or he lost or something like that. Um, but the the it was very character driven. It was a very character driven story. So you know, I can see them doing something like that for for Harrison Ford. You know, and uh, like I said at the beginning, you know, if they if they want to keep the franchise going, then bring somebody else in, you know, like, I don't know, they try to do the whole thing with Shia LaBeouf, you know, maybe bring him back and then try to rewrite the story a little or something. I don't know. That's right. Fine, me, fine, fine, but it's not Indiana Jones anymore. 
It's not Indiana right. Jones anymore. You know, like, yeah. have, it, have it grow, you know, have it grow into something else. Because to me, like you said, Tom, you know, Harrison Ford is Indiana Jones, you know. Um, I, I would have a hard time seeing another actor playing playing that character. Yeah, I, I would too. Yeah. Unless it's Tom Selleck. I might, uh, I might go for that. <laughs> <laughs> He needs he needs his uh, he needs his time to shine. So we'll see we'll see what we see uh, when we learn more. We'll definitely have to revisit this subject. It's not just me, right? When I think about Star Wars and I when I think about Indiana Jones, for some reason I think about Star Wars too. It's not just me, right? It's just no. It's, no. I'll, I'll go with that. It's it's me too. Is it the Lucas and Harrison Ford are part of both or? Yeah, it's, it's Lucas is part of both, and Harrison Ford is part of both, and really John Williams is part of both. You know, there's there's a lot that goes into it that went into Star Wars as well. So, well, um, Han Solo and Indiana Jones were so similar, you know, and, and you get down to it, a lot of the same production crew, you know, the same effects people, all a lot of the same stuff. So, and Kenner even used the same mold for the twelve inch. For the twelve inch, yeah, yeah. because actually, the vintage Indiana Jones figures are actually like the Lone Ranger figures. Uh, they have a completely different uh, leg articulation than Star Wars figures. It's just uh, it's Han Solo battling Nazis, boys. <laughs> so, guys, let's talk about the uh, Death Valley trip. Um, Tom and Ryan, you both got to go with the Sarlacc group, and it looked like a lot of fun. You posted some photos on our Facebook page. Uh, Ryan, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about it? Uh, sand, it gets everywhere. Uh, it really does. No, um, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I wasn't the one pulling out all the the, uh, the prequel quotes on that trip. So, <laughs> no, there was a there was a certain someone. It wasn't me either. It was uh, it was it was our friend friend Mr. Gus Lopez. He yes. was he was he was quick with the prequel uh, quotes. Quite yes. Uh, he says he does it ironically though. So we'll see. Um, anyway, uh, it was an awesome trip. This has been this was my second time visiting Death Valley and and looking for the the Star Wars filming locations. Actually, our first day there, it was actually raining in Death Valley, uh, if you can believe that. And, and so, cold. And cold, yeah. <laughs> and so we didn't quite hit as much as we wanted to. Some of it didn't look as good. Um, the major things we hit our first day was the, the Tuscan Canyon, um, which is Desolation Canyon in Death Valley. And uh, one of our friends from, um, from Sarlacc, Chris Stone, came along with a uh, Tuscan Raider costume. And so we took pictures of him as a Tuscan Raider in that cannon, which was pretty awesome. And we also hit R2's Arroyo in the Sandcrawler area and briefly went by the R2 dunes. That was just a, a quick, hey, this is here because it's right along the side of the road. We figured we'd try to hit that Sunday. Uh, we went back again on Sunday, and we really we hit almost every site that day. So we went back to the R2 dunes. Uh, we went back to R2's Arroyo at the end of the day, but then we also hit um, Golden Canyon, which a lot of people who go to Death Valley miss out on hitting of the, some of the filming locations of Golden Canyon because it's not as well documented. But a lot of the shots of the Jawas peeking around rocks at R2 or in Golden Canyon. And we did, we've actually found a couple shots of R2-D2 in that canyon as well, um, which most of the, uh, the stuff that we looked at didn't have necessarily figured out. And uh, so we were finding a lot of them, and it was funny because you'd be in like one spot and you'd find one, uh, line up one shot, and then all of a sudden turn around and realize there's one right there next to you, and you find like four or five shots right there that maybe didn't go together in the film, but, you know, they found a good spot, and film jaw was there, or whatever. And then we hit uh, the uh, Jabba's Palace Road, and which is, to me, that and R2's Arroyo are the, the two coolest things to see in Death Valley. They're the two places you go to that you really feel like you're inside Star Wars, pretty much. Um 
and especially when we went to Jobs Palace Road, because they had the road, it's a 20-mule team road that goes through there, and that was actually blocked off uh, due to flooding or something. And so we hiked in there, which it wasn't far. I want to say maybe it was a half mile, three-quarters of a mile hike. And um, we we got in there, and you you know, there's nothing else around. The car isn't even there, so you're really right there on the road to Jobs Palace. And then a few people, not me, um, but I know Tom did this, went up and found um, the cave from the deleted scene from Return of the Jedi, uh, where R2 and 3PO are standing outside the cave that Luke's supposed to be in building his lightsaber. And a couple of shots of, we, we could see the mountains and everything, from where I was anyway, of where the Falcon was parked and everything from that shot too. And I'm sure Tom can talk about that more. And we ended by going to uh, Dante's View, which is overlooks Death Valley, which is the Moss Eisley Overlook. And believe it or not, it was snowing. Well, it wasn't snowing, but there was snow on the ground. And Tom and I got no snowball fight on Tatooine, so that, that was kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, but apparently I uh, discovered that I throw like a girl now. <laughs> Jeez. That was I don't know, Tom. I know a lot of girls who throw a lot better than you. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Hey, Chris, I think uh, Chris, I think you, uh, you visited this uh, when you did some shots as well for the movie, right? Yeah, and it was it was hot as it was hot as hell when I was out there. I saw the photos from your trip, and I could not believe that it it got that cold in Death Valley. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, I think the, even even on Sunday, the highest it got was maybe sixty five. Yeah, I mean the sun when was out and it was beautiful, but it was it was definitely a nice day to be out there all day. And uh, we took some sun, but I think it was it really wasn't uh none of us really got sunburnt or anything so we were we were really lucky this definitely is the best time to go to to death valley yeah my god ryan you're just you're there in tatooine when you when you go there so yeah. uh um artist palette the area where uh r2's arroyo is there is you you walk over to the ridge and and it's there and the road to Jabba's Palace is also it's you're standing right there exactly on the spot where they filmed R2 and 3PO walking toward the uh, the palace there in the background of course that was a matte painting but the video that I that I did for the um for our little visit really I think captures a lot of the scenes that uh that are just amazing I mean you step out of you step out of the airplane, you know, in Vegas, you do a, you drive for two hours and you're in Tatooine. It's just, just amazing. That's cool. Yeah. It's incredible. So yeah, it was, it was fun. Um, Jawas Canyon there. I don't know what, what, what was that called? That was, I believe. Was Golden Canyon. Yeah. Golden Canyon. Canyon. It's amazing. Like, uh, like Ryan said, you turn around, there's one shot. You turn back around, there's another shot. Oh, there's another shot. So, they filmed well you know i mean this crew probably wanted to get it done in the quickest time they could they waited for the perfect you know um lighting and they shot as many shots as they could so you turn around there's one shot you turn around there's another shot and the funny thing is when you're watching the movie and you know your scenes and you definitely know if you were in death valley you know the scenes that were shot there so one shot, one second's Tunisia. The next shot is Death Valley. The next shot is Tunisia again, and it's it's really kind of kind of interesting how they did that. And the question that Ryan and I had, and I think everybody else had on the trip, was 
Death Valley was such a perfect place because it was so desolate and you had desert and you had canyons and everything was brown and just but the lighting was just so beautiful. Why did they even have to go to Tunisia when everything was right there in California? And I don't think we could really come up with it with a really good answer. I'm sure maybe Gus has a better idea of why they did that. Maybe labor laws or something like that. But I mean, to be in Death Valley is truly to be in in on Tatooine. It was it was amazing. And the next time we go, Chris, Jason, definitely definitely join us. It's just uh, incredible. It does sound like um, a lot of fun, Tom. Tom, I think I actually have a, a an answer for you now on why the uh, why they didn't do everything in Death Valley to begin with. Well, let's hear tell you, it, Ryan. I couldn't tell you why they didn't go back there for the prequels, but um, I did just finish uh, the making of Star Wars, finally. Uh-huh. And um, Tunisia was always planned. That had been scouted out before they started making the movie, and that had always been planned. And, of course, we know Death Valley was just pickup shots, basically. Right, and right. And I'm betting that when they scouted that, they were looking you know, for quick pickup shots. Maybe if they'd scouted that sooner, they might have used that instead of Tunisia. Because um, I cannot imagine, even with labor laws, because they built like the sand crawler treads and everything and a lot of the sets, they built that in London and then shipped it to Tunisia. And that just seems crazy. I, I, I don't I don't understand that all if you have Death Valley right there, but I don't think they had scouted Death Valley at that point at all. Um, well, it wasn't until the pickup yeah. shots. Yeah, it's funny because they used a lot of bat paintings too. If you look at my video uh-huh. compar- comparison to the sand crawler station... Yeah, it is almost identical, right? So it's it's really cool to see. And once again, when you're standing in that location and you're looking off into the mountains and you can imagine a sand crawler, it is the most surreal, amazing, fun feeling. Chris, did you? How did you feel when you were doing shots over there in Death Valley? I went to Tunisia in 2005, and then I went to Death Valley to shoot the force within us. You know, in 2012, and I could not um, believe how beautiful it was. What what really grabbed me was the sky. The sky was just so beautiful, so clear, and um, it it did feel very surreal to to be there. And um, you know, now, now you got me thinking. I think that would be a, a question that I asked Robert Watts when I filmed The Force Among Us Part Three which is going to be all about the filming locations is why did they, you know, choose Tunisia over, over death Valley. I find it hard to believe, like Ryan said, you know, maybe they didn't look at uh, death Valley at first, but I mean, that's really their backyard. I mean, that's, that's hours away. So, um, and I would have to say that uh, death Valley was, was definitely much more beautiful than Tunisia was. Wow. You know, um, I think you get a lot more colors with the rocks. You get a lot more rock formations. Uh, Tunisia is very, very flat. It is desolate. You can hear a pin drop. But as far as everything around you, the environment itself, you know, Death Valley is definitely, you know, something that I think captures the imagination more than anything. Yeah, because, I mean, we were, you know, hanging out in the canyons uh, taking pictures and you could just imagine you know, in the next canyon, you've got banthas and sand uh, sand people watching us. It it was just fun to imagine, and it, it's it's really really cool. Anybody who's considering visiting these locations, number one, it's easy. It's pretty simple to find. Most yeah. of them are, 
And it is just so immersive. It's I would do it again in a heartbeat, and uh, I probably will real soon. Uh, the, the other thing I would suggest for anybody who wants to go there is go with a group of geeks. Go with a group of Star Wars fans. Don't know um, any. Because when we did this, I mean, there were 11 <laughs> of us on this trip, and all from Sarlacc, and we had a blast. I mean, we're, we're in these locations just giggling away like little children, uh, just loving that we're finding this stuff and you know, throwing out quotes, lining up shots. And, like, any tourists that came by us, they thought we were, we'd we all have our cameras, like, all right around each other, lining up the right shot. So we're all just, you know, reaching in to all get our cameras in the right spot to get get the, the film shot, basically. And it was like paparazzi, only we're taking pictures of rocks and land formations and stuff. And Yeah, uh, one, one trick would be to take screenshots, which yeah. are amazingly helpful. Uh, especially in the, the Jawa Canyon, because once once you get into the canyon itself, there's maybe about five, six, seven, eight shots that are just maybe within 50 feet of each other. And um, like we ran into some tourists while we were there. Um, we, we ran into one while we were up in the the Desolation Canyon where Chris was in the uh, the Tuscan costume, and uh, we were literally all up in the hills trying to get the shot of Luke looking down the macro binoculars. At the Banthas. And so we're all up there, and Chris is down in the Tuscan by himself, <laughs> down in the bottom of the canyon. We're like, what are these tourists going to think when they come up and see this guy standing there like this? And they were cool, though, because we, we explained to them what we're doing, and, and they, they get a kick out of it. Most of the tourists we ran into was like, oh, Star Wars. Oh, that's cool. You know, and we'd show them the shots that we had, our film grabs and everything. And, and oh, that's really cool. Um, one of the funniest ones we had was in Golden Canyon. Um, Chris's son came and he was dressed as a Jawa uh, while we were in Golden Canyon. Not and only a Jawa, but probably the most authentic-looking Jawa costume you'll ever ever oh, see. It was really good. Uh, if you've seen the pictures we posted, it's uh, it was really cool. And we actually would get him sometimes precariously in some of the positions that they put the Jawas in for the shots. Yeah, Chris was <laughs> literally holding him up behind a rock and us on the other side taking pictures would, would be like okay can you lift your hand just a little bit more to make it more screen accurate it's ridiculous ridiculous but we had this this german family come along at one point where we have uh, chris's son kind of hiding behind a rock and and, we, and it, the family had a couple of young kids and uh they were kind of afraid of our little jawa there and fortunately tom uh spoke speaks german quite well and was able to talk to them and finally coax them in to go up and talk to the our Jawa and realize he was just another kid and then they didn't want to leave at all. Um, but it was it was fun kind of sharing that with other tourists that came along and showing what we're doing. I, when I did this trip before, I actually went with my ex girlfriend and we went. We weren't going necessarily for the Star Wars locations. We we're going for you know the nature part of Death Valley. We actually camped there. And when I found out there's Star Wars locations, I'm like, oh, we got to hit these. Um, I, I will say it's much more fun to go along with a bunch of uh, uh, Star Wars nerds and stuff. So uh, I highly recommend that. Uh, you mentioned the, uh, the, the uh, Tuscan Raider costume when we were filming out there. I wore the uh, the Tuscan Raider costume in, in uh, Bantha Canyon. And I, I got to the filming location. We parked the car. I don't know. It felt quite far away just because maybe it was 100 degrees that day. And I brought a Bantha with me, and I forgot the Bantha in the car. And I was like, "Man, I took this thing out of the out of the box. I I packed it. I need to go get it." 
So I ran back to, because it was at the end of the day, I ran back to the car to grab this Bantha. And um, by, by the time I got back, one thing I learned is never run in Death Valley. <laughs> <laughs> never run in Death Valley. And I, and I thought it was uh, the, the only Tuscan Raider to wear the, the only person to wear the Tuscan Raider costume. But apparently, they're, uh, I'm, I'm sure I'm not alone, as it, as it sounds. No. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I would I would imagine uh, 120 degree heat is probably a little bit more stifling than uh, maybe 65 at best. And actually, that was that was a cold day, so that was maybe 45, 50. So yeah, we we had it pretty good, Chris. And, and I will recommend um, since both times I've done this, this did in November, and the last time I was in there was was in February. Uh, yeah, go there during the the fall or the uh, or. Uh, winter I, I think that's the best time to go there <laughs> I, think, I think the cool thing about going out there we went out there in um in april and it, it was hot as hell like i said but the cool thing about it is you know you really probably got as close to the tattooing heat as you could uh <laughs> it would have been more pleasant to get out there in 60 degree heat but um i, I think there was something about experiencing the uh the, the heat like that um made you even feel more like you were part of part of Tatooine and I cannot believe how they wore the um the costumes out in the desert. I remember talking to Ray Park and and he I don't know how the hell he wore all black and all the makeup in you know in Tunisia. Um I think Tunisia gets a little hotter than Death Valley though. It's a different kind of heat. I mean you literally look at the temperature in in um, Tunisia, and you're going to see like 140 degrees. I don't believe you're going to see that in Death Valley. It's possible. I think I know Death Valley's recorded like the the highest temperature in in the United States, but yeah, I I don't know what the highest is in, in, over in Tunisia. But uh, but 120, I, 140, what's the difference, right? <laughs> yeah, well, once you once you get over 120, it's all the same, pretty much, I you, guess. You start looking like melting Nazis, no matter which way you go, right? It's, uh, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I, think, I think once you get over 100 degrees, it's like okay, it's it's hot. Yeah, <laughs> um, it was a, it was a little chilly, so uh, I I did not break out my slave Leia outfit that I did have under my clothes. <laughs> so uh, maybe that. maybe next time, maybe next time. Um, Tom, since you went and found the uh, you were with the group that went and found the deleted scene area, do you want to talk about that at all? Yeah, uh, Gus was uh, tromping around. Gus Lopez, uh, I think. A few of you folks know him. Who's that? He's been on the show a few times. <laughs> We've uh, Gus, myself, uh, Kurt, and Jim, I believe, were all looking around. We were lining up a shot of the mountains for the deleted scene. And uh, we thought we had found the cave for the deleted scene. And we were actually using a website. Uh, I think the website is Steve Hall's Death Valley Adventures. Check that out, everybody, if you want to take a look at the uh, at the locations and a little map of uh, uh, the filming locations in Death Valley. But uh, uh, that website actually documented where they thought the deleted scenes were, which made sense. But the thing is, we went to a uh, kind of a wash or another canyon next to where they thought the deleted scenes were filmed, and we actually saw the indentation of a cave. A little confusing, but because, you know, the area that we were at 
these washes are really fragile and, and a lot of soft dirt and sand and muck. So the fact that uh, a cave indentation would still be there after, you know, 30 years for me is hard to believe, but the uh, the mountains lined up and uh, we did have a few shots of where R2 and 3PO were being filmed with a film crew in front of them and it looked awfully awfully similar so i'm going to say not with 100% um, confidence that we might very well have found that deleted scene so that was uh, that was kind of a cool really exciting feeling so yeah, that was that was amazing, and uh, you know, once again, there's another uh, there's another reason to visit. Just this, the stuff you come across and and the things you discover. It's just it's just a really it was a really fun trip. You know, you you talk about the caves, and uh, when we were filming the Force Within Us, we had Carl and Adam who had written a book about the filming locations, and we were looking for the caves from the deleted scenes. We we. In, in the force within us, you can see us looking for them. We never tell the the movie viewer, you know, what happened. And um, what really did happen was we had talked to a park ranger because that area is, you know, in a um, in a state park. And apparently, those are old borax mines, uh, like borax cave mines. And like you said, it's hard to believe that. 30 years the cave would not cave in if you will and the 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 sand always moves out there in the wind and like you said everything is really really soft so i i want to say i'm 99.9 percent sure that those caves do not exist anymore but you guys were talking about like the millennium falcon landing spot from the deleted scenes that is obviously more visible because you can line up you know the 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 um the the, the rock formations you know but right, uh, sad, right sadly enough i just i don't believe that um you know the I, w- one thing that i i noticed too when i was lining up the shots is some of that uh some of the earth is smaller and it's slightly shifted um you know just from you know 30 years of of wind and and the erosion and whatnot Unfortunately, you know, I don't believe that, uh, you know, for, for the most part, everything's the same, but those caves, I want to say they're, that they don't exist. Yep. I'm going to go with that, Chris. And, and the only reason that I, I definitely agree with you is number one, you can line up the mountains because the mountains are further away. I mean, you can do that from one canyon for, to another canyon to another canyon. Those mountains are always going to line up because they're farther away. So, um, one thing we did see is the fact well, – let, let me not say that it was a cave exactly. It was an indentation in in the hillside. So this indentation was maybe three or four feet deep, but the fact that that would – right, the fact that it was going to stick around for 30 years, I really doubt it with the condition – and the crumbliness of the of the hill face. So yeah, I'm going to go with it's probably probably not what we were hoping or thinking. Um, but uh, once again, you know, you come around uh, you come around a corner, you're up in these canyons, and and you find something that that looks incredibly similar. And of course, the mountains line up. It's uh, it's still kind of an exciting feeling, even though it probably wasn't what we were thinking it was. Absolutely, I I think part of the thrill was. You know, looking for the caves, 
uh, even though there was some disappointment at the end. But, um, you know, with, with the, I don't know, there's probably, what, eight, eight to ten uh, shots out there um, in Death Valley, and it's so worth it. And the cool thing about it is once you're there, you're in the environment, you know. And uh, unlike Norway, unlike the Redwood Forest in Northern California, Death Valley, the coolest thing is, is you can line up the shots, like you said, line up the mountain ranges. You know, that is something that, um, you know, you can't do with all the Star Wars filming locations. And, and like you said, it's really close. We were out there for a day. You don't need more than that. If you want to take two days, you, you would have a lot of time to, uh, you know, relax and enjoy for sure. Yeah, yeah, we did it in two, and we we hit all the locations. You could probably do it in one, but you'd feel a little rushed. But uh, yeah, I mean, guys, the, uh, the these are these are rocks; they don't change, and definitely not in the thirty-five years that Star Wars was filmed. So uh, go out there, try to find those locations. It's super fun. All right, moving on. This is a good time to bring up the the movie The Force Within Us because Chris Mock like he said, visited this location and, and many and many more, actually. And uh, Chris, why don't you tell us about your, your film? Uh, the film is the sequel to The Force Among Us. And if, if you haven't heard of The Force Among Us, you've definitely been living under a rock in Death Valley somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like I've been pushing it down people's throats for, for a very, very long time. Uh, the Force Among Us was a Hallmark card to Star Wars fans. It is, uh, we pressed 1977 copies. It's sold out. We're going to re- release it as a director's cut. We filmed that one in uh, Tunisia and in Norway and uh, all other parts of the United States. But those were the two Star Wars filming locations. And then the force within us, um, I would say, is kind of a, it's a biopic. It's about um, how Star Wars has not only changed my life, and uh, how it's influenced me in positive ways. Um, you know, I lost my father when I was very, very, very young, um, seven years old, and I had a really rough childhood, and I turned to Star Wars instead of, you know, uh, some other bad vices that, you know, unfortunately people turn to when they have, you know, a hard time growing up. And Star Wars was one of those things that kind of pulled me through a hard time, and the force within us is really all about that journey. And I talked to a lot of different people, uh, Stephen Sansweet, Jeremy Bullock, Ashley Eckstein, Robert Watts. The list really goes on and on and on. And I kind of tie in uh, their journey as well to find out if Star Wars, you know, has changed their life. I don't know if you guys have seen a Headbanger's Journey. Um, it was a music documentary about a heavy metal fan uh, that was the documentarian, and he pretty much, you know, went all around the world to find out what Star Wars meant, uh, what music meant to other people. I kind of took that concept and, you know, wanted to find out what Star Wars meant to other people. Um, it's obviously more than just collecting and standing in line for this or that or going to conventions. Um, it hasn't changed everybody's lives, but uh, it's changed uh, enough, you know, that I wanted to at least, uh, you know, explore that a little bit more. You know, I knew I wasn't the only one. There's, there's no way that I could have been the only one that was, um, transformed by these, uh, these movies. Yeah. I know, um, in your film, a lot of times you come back to the, 
to the theme that um, you Star Wars brings you back to a better time. Yes, yes. Um, and I can I could totally re- relate with that when you were talking about that in the film. You know, Star Wars for me was being young and in in a safe place too. And on a personal level, you know, when the when the original trilogy came out, my parents were still married. It was a very ideal time in my you know everything was pretty ideal back then and i think that's you know maybe what brings me back to star wars constantly wanting to go back to that time and i and if you think about it you know um our gener i would say the force within us definitely talks about the new generation but the force within us is a film i I hate to say that we can all relate to because i think it's more for the old school generation uh you know we we grew up in the 70s and in the 80s and the divorce rate was high and and the broken family was was it was definitely not the 50s definitely not the 60s mm-hmm. and um you know star wars was kind of one of those family experiences and you know i would say at least 50% of the people have come from families that you know unfortunately didn't stay together and star wars always seems to you know bring us back like you said to those better times, those more, more innocent times, um, a happy place, if you will. Um, and and um, it's your it's your cousin that you speak with who kind of became disillusioned with Star Wars, right? Was that your that was your cousin? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My, my cousin. Um, you know, the funny thing is, I don't know if for those of you that have seen the the Force Among Us, you know, he got a good laugh in um, in the Force Among Us because he. He says he hates Jar Jar Binks, and, you know, he'd like to give George Lucas a slap in the face for that. But um, he defends <laughs> Daniel Logan and, and Jake Lloyd about th- those guys, you know, getting bashed and, you know, Jake Lloyd receiving hate mail. Well, I wanted to revisit my cousin and find out how he felt about Star Wars now. And I had to be very careful when I edited the film because I didn't want to make him look like a complete jerk. Mm-hmm. But when he saw the film, he said he looked like the biggest ass <laughs> because I, I love that. I love that part because he says um, he says something about, um, you know, at some point you have to stop reliving your childhood. And then we move on to uh, Jimmy Mack, uh, you know, a pod podcast show host. And he says, when you start hating on something that you love that much, you need to ask yourself, why did I love it to begin with? Um, so, uh, you know, my cousin is, is, he's very disillusioned about a lot of things. <laughs> and I, I think, uh, you know, the fact that I, I put him in there just kind of, you know, I took it to the next level. Everything that I did in the force among us, I took to the next level in the force within us. And I did that definitely with my cousin, Mike. Mm-hmm. Well, I, th- I think it was good that you put your cousin in it because it does, he does represent, I'm not saying a majority of fans, but a good amount of fans, kind of like Tom, that that you know felt maybe betrayed by the prequels or couldn't yeah, I, couldn't go with it anymore. And you know, and Tom, you know, Tom's like that to to a certain extent. I think that's a to a thing certain to say. extent. <laughs> From a certain point of view, <laughs> Chris, Chris, I think Chris, I actually agree. The thing is, we're at the, we're at a point now where we've got six movies, and I can't stand the the last three. So the thing is. It's still Star Wars. I still recognize it as Star Wars, but I have a choice. I have a choice to go back and relive the chunks that I like and just ignore the chunks that I don't. So I go back and I enjoy the uh, the 
the OT. So, um, who's going to say that the next trilogy or how many movies that's going to be is going to be better? But uh, the thing is, we can always go back and relive a little bit of what once was, and I think that's great. And living your childhood and and remembering that with nostalgia that's that's not a bad thing. I think it's I think it's great, and that's the whole idea behind. This podcast to to a bit, and of course, obviously, your movies and and I grew up starwars.com. It's about the nostalgia for for a good amount of it. So, yeah, and I, and I think you know the thing is, you know, the new generation has nothing to be nostalgic about, and um, but but that's okay because they still love the movies. They're keeping the franchise going on. I mean, if the next Star Wars movie sucks. Um, you know, the new generation might love it, and that's what's going to keep that franchise going on, and that's even going to make us look back even more and say, oh, my God, those are the good old days. <laughs> you know, if, if we're going to get, you know, movies that might not live up to our expectations or, you know, something that might not, you know, be what we're hoping for, I think that was the, disappoint- the disappointment with the prequels. We kind of touched on that a little bit in The Force Among Us, is that, the, the hype and the expectations were so high that it was unrealistic for those movies to to be even half of what we were expecting them to be, you know? Yeah, we, uh, we after Return of the Jedi, we kind of marinated for uh, a decade and we were ready for Star Wars and, and what we got really didn't, really didn't live up to uh, a lot of people's expectations, but hey, Chris, we you know we've got uh, we've always got that nice fuzzy, fuzzy uh, OT uh, blanket that we can wrap ourselves around when things get bad, right, buddy? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, <laughs> I, I think I, I think the fun the fun thing about making the documentaries too is that I was able to, you know, show people like my cousin Mike and know that, you know, maybe some people would hate him, and and if and if people watch the Force within us and they hate my cousin Mike, that hits a home run for me. But if they relate to him, that hits a home run for me as well. It's like <laughs> it was it was kind of a, a win-win situation. Putting the anti-George Lucas, you know, anti-prequel stuff in there, because it's, it's really part of everybody's Star Wars fandom journey, if you will. That's right. That's what we got going on on this podcast. Absolutely. <laughs> it's a win both ways. And you mentioned uh, you mentioned earlier too that you know the cool thing about that you liked about the film was putting in the old you know the old eight millimeter family. Yeah, that that stuff's videos. great. And man, I can't thank my grandma enough. Unfortunately, you know, God bless her, she passed away three months ago, and um, we had the opportunity to film her in the Force Among Us, and she was just always gung ho about you know make sure everybody's birthdays get filmed, everybody's Christmas mornings get filmed. And she had a closet full of all these old videos, and she was always really funny about having all that transferred. I mean, she had about, God, she's got eight grandkids, you know, so she's got about 50, 60 video reels. And um, I, I actually had to sneak them out of the closet. <laughs> I, I took a look at the label for the year, and I'm like, okay, Christmas 1980. Uh, you know, my cousin's birthday, 1980, uh, 1983. I know there's going to be some really good vintage stuff on here. And sure enough, there was. And I was just so fortunate that I was able to capture that. And the beginning of the film, 
which really opens up with me and my mom talking about my dad's death. Um, I really wanted to open it up with all the vintage eight millimeter stuff, mm-hmm. but uh, Jimmy Mack was a good friend of mine. He had recommended that we start with, you know, why is this Star Wars so important to you? And obviously because my father passed away. And then we just kind of cruise right into a nice montage of all this vintage 8mm stuff of kids uh, with R2-D2 birthday cakes and opening, you know, Ad Ed Walkers, you know, uh, for Christmas and that sort of thing. And I, I really don't think I would have half the film if I wasn't able to have that vintage footage and those vintage photos because i think that really helps tell the story yeah that's that footage is really great and you you're very lucky that you had a grandmother that thought to do that i i can't even imagine how if i knew that there was footage of of my birthday or christmas from 1980 i would you know god it'd just be amazing yeah i i asked i asked a lot of people too that you know we filmed them like hey do you have any videos do you have any photos mm-hmm. and They'd be like, I got one photo. (laughs) I have no videos. And yeah, I was just so, so lucky and so fortunate that, uh, you know, my grandma kept that stuff and, um, you know, and made, made our parents film that stuff because now it's, it's, it's not only a a memory, but it's, it's a trip back in time. And that's really what the force within us is all about. Mm -hmm. Now on the, on the, on the film, you, you, you do interview your, your mother and, at one point, she gets pretty choked up, and I'm just, you know, kind of curious: has she had a chance to watch the movie? Yeah, I thought my mom was going to kill me um, when she saw the the, the movie. Um, the, the interesting story is, my mother was filmed in 2006 for The Force Among Us. Mm-hmm. She's in the first documentary, but we don't know that she's my mom. And I really wanted to have a story like we did for the second one you know the emotional journey if you will and um i actually wanted to start off the movie with her you know breaking down and um i tell you man that, that to me having my mother break down when i ask her what star wars means to us um to me that's right up there with the old eight millimeter family videos i mean it's just so mm-hmm. powerful to to have that footage you know yeah yeah, that's uh, yeah, it's quite. But she saw it. Mm-hmm. She saw it, and then she was okay with it. I, I swear, I, I watched the rough cut of the film with her in the living room. Uh, you know, in the beginning of the year, actually, in January, because the film was just released in March, and I was so anxious and so nervous <laughs> to show her the film because, you know, my the fact that my father passed away. You know, it's a big part of you know my mom's my mom's story as well and um something that you know she doesn't want to talk about 30 years after the fact either but uh it's something that i unfortunately you know never never wanted to let go now you also um you like you said you visited quite a few filming locations you went to the um to the uh, redwood forest and uh, did some filming there yeah we went up to uh smith river uh we stayed at the ship ashore which is the, uh, the the hotel that the the crew had stayed at, and they watched a lot of the dailies, and a lot of people got hired there, and so a lot of a lot of business done at the ship ashore. Unfortunately, the ship ashore is very rundown. It's very rustic. There's a lot of history there, so it's kind of cool that it still looks like it did, you know, back in 1982 when they filmed Return of the Jedi. Um, and we were 
fortunate to run into, uh, track down and, and interview some of the, uh, people that worked on the film. Um, you know, Harrison Ford stand in, uh, a couple, uh, stormtroopers that were filmed as extras and, uh, some Ewok handlers. And the reason why I wanted to film them was, you know, these people are still living where they were when, you know, they got hired by Lucasfilm. You know, they were, they were locals. And I mean, if you look at the end credits, the end credits are very, very, very long. And a lot of people were hired to work on those films. And, um, I just was curious to find out, you know, hey, were you guys fans and did Star Wars change your life at all? I mean, if Star Wars, if, if they rolled into my town for the next three movies and they said, hey, we want to hire you because we need some people from your area to work as extras and we need some help, you know, that would definitely change my life. And, um, and I thought it was interesting to talk to people that actually lived it. And uh, it was very nice for them to give us the time of day and sit down with us and, and share some really, really cool stories. That's awesome. And one, one thing I, I was reading the uh, Return of the Jedi. Uh, God, what is it? It's, uh, it? it's the making of Return of the Jedi. It's the book. That is it with the, with the um, I believe it's the, uh, the Star Destroyer on the cover. And it's very much like um, Alan Arnold's book, The Making of Empire Strikes Back, you know, the publicist that uh, wrote, wrote the book about um, his experience working on the film. I read this story in the making of Return of the Jedi, and it was about Anthony Daniels and how Anthony Daniels um, wasn't around when they needed him, and they put somebody else in the suit, and he was really, really, you know, very pissed off about somebody else getting in the 3PO suit. Oh, when I sat down with Joe Gillespie, the guy that stood in for Harrison Ford, he uh, he told me that story, and it was so cool because he told me that story word for word, and I had just read that on the plane in this book that was released in you know 1983, and um, it was just so cool to talk to these people and have them tell me the stories that I that I just read about, and and obviously stories that I never even heard before. Yeah, very very cool. Um, what was the what was the, the little store? Was it a store or a diner that you were in where they had the Ewok Rock? Yeah, the Ewok ship? Rock. It was it was a, yep. like a market. It was the Fort Dick Market. Fort Dick is right next to Smith River. Uh, there's nothing really in uh, Smith River. Uh, Crescent City is pretty decent size. Smith River is you know very very uh, tiny. Um, th- there's nothing there. So everybody used to go to the Fort Dick Market, and obviously the story that we tell in, in the documentary is that the, the crew left this Ewok boulder, this Ewok rock, to this store, and I almost had a heart attack because they had this thing sitting on top of, like, the, the hot dog stand. <laughs> 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 to me, it should have been in an acrylic glass case, you know, an, an acrylic or glass case on the wall with a nice light, a nice plaque, you know, and uh, when I asked, uh, Clyde Eller is the owner, him and his wife own it, the the Ellers, and um, he said, well, after you release this film, we're, we're going to have it in, in a display case, and I, I don't know if anybody's made it to the Fort Dick market since we released the documentary. Um, I, I can actually tell you they have, uh, not because I know, but we were when Jason and I were watching that, we had somebody who's been there. Um, actually, Tom, you were on that trip last year, weren't you? I was not, no. Oh, it was Tom Tom version two. Okay. Um, 
but apparently, yes, it is now in a, in a display case, and you can't touch the rock anymore. Because <laughs> that was the the one of the people we were ta- watching the show with was commenting like, "Oh wow, it's out there in the open." And then they, uh, the Starlight Group went down last <laughs> November, and so uh, they said it's now in a case. That's great. That's that's crazy. You know, I still have to send. I still have to send those guys a copy of the film. I, I sent everybody else. Um, that we interviewed a copy of the film, except the Ellers, you know, who own the Fort Dick market. But that is, that is really, really cool to know that, um, that I got a chance to hold a rock and it's now, uh, on a case on the wall. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. Hey, Chris, did you ever hear about, uh, I had a buddy that, uh, I know he lives up in the San Juan Islands now. He, uh, he was, Obviously younger as we all were. Uh, he lived in Eureka and he knew a few folks in the area. And, uh, one or two folks that he knew actually got to be a few, uh, folks that, uh, ended up in stormtrooper costumes. Did you ever hear of any rumors about, uh, when they wrapped, uh, some of the, uh, stormtroopers, um, the guys who played these, uh, troopers throwing their helmets into the forest with the hopes of coming back and actually retrieving them? Yeah, you know, we uh, we interviewed this guy, Michael Brown, who was a stunt stormtrooper, and he was an Imperial officer during the bunker scene. And we interviewed uh, Bobby Eslick, who was a stunt stormtrooper as well. And I, I have heard rumors about that. The funny thing is that we got two different stories. Um, Bobby Eslick was very, like, uh, militant about uh, working on on Return of the Jedi. He's like, oh, they said we couldn't take any photos, we couldn't throw anything here, we couldn't throw anything there. We did it. And then I talked to Michael Brown, and there's actually a, a photo that he holds up of somebody that worked on set that took a photo of him holding his helmet, and he's you know he's got the helmet off. He never said that he threw his helmet offset but he did hear that people were trying to do that so gotcha okay i have heard the rumors um but the guys that i interviewed they were not fortunate enough to walk off with their their stormtrooper helmets right i I imagine that the lucasfilm was probably checking in every bit and part of every costume that uh that made its way there so Maybe just a rumor, but uh, you know, some of those helmets did make it uh, make it off the uh, off the set somehow. I think. Yeah, you know, and and maybe if if somebody did, maybe somebody got fired. You know, I mean, they hired God, they hired literally three hundred and fifty extras. So I'm sure there was one bad apple in the bunch. <laughs> right, and as right. Far as, as far as the helmets, you know, making it. Um, Making it out of there, you know. I mean, that could have been, you know, obviously an inside inside job, if you will. And uh, but I think that's interesting that you that you heard that rumor as well. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. I heard that from uh, someone who actually lived in the area at the time. Um, and you know, Star Wars it was not unknown by 1982. Anybody who was a kid or or younger, for that matter, knew exactly what. Uh, what uh, white armored guys running around in the forest meant. That meant uh, that there was another Star Wars movie being filmed, which probably was super exciting for uh, Smith River, for sure. Yeah, and Eureka, God, Eureka's probably 20 minutes tops from Smith River. So um, yeah. I'm, I'm sure a lot of people uh, from Eureka, you know, uh, worked on worked on the film as as well. Oh, I'm sure. 
I don't think there's 350 people living in Smith River. <laughs> I'm sure that there's a lot of other towns uh, outside where uh, where people came in and and, uh, and worked. You know, there was a thing in the paper too. From uh, it was the Del Norte Triplicate was the name of the paper, and uh, unfortunately, a lot of the people that worked on the, the film have, have passed away uh, just because they were older. Um, you know, they, you know, they were older when they worked on the film and, uh, you know, they passed away, you know, when they were 70, 80, 80 years old. Right. You know, I wonder if there's any, uh, interest in, uh, you know, some of these folks that actually played stunt stormtroopers or anything to maybe hit a few cons and, uh, sign a few autographs and make a little bit of money. Yeah, I, I think. I think there could be, you know, um, you know, Philip Wise is, is the boss of that, of that scene. And, um, I, I just don't think, you know, a lot of the conventions, unfortunately, you know, a lot of the conventions, um, they don't pay, uh, for people to come out. You know, I know Philip's got a nice thing going where, you know, the actors come out, you know, their, their trip is at least taken care of, you know, for somebody from Smith River to come out, to a convention in, in Chicago or New York or maybe even San Diego. Cause that, that's quite, that's quite far as well. You know, they'd have to sign a lot of autographs to at least cover their, their cost. And unfortunately, I think that's the, the bummer. Um, why a lot of the extras who we as autograph hounds seek after and collect, they just they have a hard time making it on the convention circuit, I think, because of the cost. There was one guy that you interviewed, one of the extras, and he looked you know, you, you talk about a lot of them being older now, but he looked pretty young and I took I turned to Ryan and I said, Wow, he must that guy must have been really young when he was in the oh, film. Right, yeah. Because and and I, I just don't remember his name, so but You know, you're probably talking about Bobby. Bobby was a guy he kinda had like that fisherman's beard, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, he looked really young to be like, you know, old you know, enough to Bobby, be an extra. <laughs> yeah, he was he was very very young when he got hired for for Jedi. I think he was maybe god, he was he wasn't even 20 years old. And he dated um Debbie Lee Carrington, who was an Ewok on Return of the Jedi and the Ewok TV films. And uh they dated for quite a long time. But that guy is um He's very, very fit. He's very health conscious. And actually, he's the cousin of Joe Gillespie, who was Harrison Ford's stand-in, who obviously looks a lot older than, than Bobby does, you know. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, he was hired very, very young when he uh, when he started working, you know, in 1982. Another part of the film that I thought was pretty interesting was when you got to go to Dave Dorman's home. Yeah, Dave, I, 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 oddly enough, Dave Dorman lives 10 minutes from my house. I... <laughs> You know, I kind of forgot how much I love his artwork and how much I do associate with him with with Star Wars now. It, it you know, we we were watching it. I'm like, oh my gosh, I I yeah, I love all this artwork. He did some just amazing comic book covers and and just just some really fantastic artwork. You know, I think the thing about Dave Dorman too, um, you know, he's been around for forever. Uh, to me, he's a pioneer of of. Um, of uh, Star Wars art because now I mean how many Star Wars artists are there there's probably over 100 and Dave Dorman was just in the right place at the right time and when we were all looking for more Star Wars in the early 90s I mean you look at the cover of Dark Empire you know that's it's almost nostalgic in a way 
you know, because it, it kind of helped us rediscover uh, Star Wars. And it was the it was the most uh, it was very, very fresh to see to see his artwork. And I think that stuck with a lot of us who were, you know, waiting for more Star Wars stuff. You know, his was some of the first that we were exposed to again. Yeah, it was it's it's weird having nostalgia for for 90s uh Star Wars, but definitely when you look at his artwork, I I get a sense of nostalgia. Well, you have to remember too. I mean, 90 93, man, that was 20 years ago, and I always think like in 93, that was a 10 10 year anniversary of Return of the Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, Star Wars in the early 90s wasn't necessarily nostalgic. Um because I don't think it was necessarily old enough. But as we look back, as I look back anyway, and when I rediscovered Star Wars, you know, the early 90s is as nostalgic as like 1980 is to me. Mm-hmm. Because it was like a new time of, you know, looking for all these toys that really didn't exist anywhere except for, you know, asking your friends at school, hey, do you have any Star Wars stuff in your closet that you know, I can buy off you. You know, there was no eBay. There was no toy shows. There was no conventions. You know, it was a very, very different time. So it, it is weird to have the early 90s be nostalgic. But at the same time, if you think about it, it really, really makes sense in a very strange way. Yep. I think a lot of us uh, kind of were had a reawakening to Star Wars in the early 90s. Definitely. You know, and you were you were saying that Ryan was into the Bendems. He collects the Bendems. <laughs> He does. Was like, <laughs> oh, Chris. Oh, Chris, you just had to you had to open that door, didn't you? Oh, my God. Do you know what you've done? <laughs> when Jason introduced Ryan that way, I mean, I instantly thought 1993 all over again, you know? <laughs> that was the only thing that we could buy at that time. And those, those Suncoast um, shampoo bottle-looking things. Oh, you know? God. Oh, jeez. I'm getting which, which woozy. I, which I still have. I, I still love the. I don't display the Benhams, but I display the Suncoast um, shampoo bottle looking I, statue. I, I remember seeing those in the store the first time, thinking that was probably the first new Star Wars item I had seen ever yeah, since they, since the line ended. They had that Luke X-wing and that Han uh, with the brown pants. Really, uh, that the, they did. It was basically it was applause before applause. At the right. Sun. Yeah. Right. That Luke X-wing is <laughs> actually really hard to find now. Ryan, uh, no one is applauding. <laughs> someone so is. I, someone so I can say. someone cherishes all those. You say the, the the Luke X Wing um, is hard to find. That was that was the first the first one I bought. You yeah. know, and it was man, the early nineties were just so so sad and so challenging as a as a Star Wars collector because you know I mean there was not a lot of stuff out there and. It was very, very hard for somebody to cough up their Star Wars collection because uh, they wanted to hold on to it for themselves. And, you know, by the time they did cough it up to me, I mean, they, they were pretty well used. You know, I mean, it was very hard to find things in pristine condition. And the funny thing is, since this is a collecting podcast, I still have Brian's toys. Everybody's familiar with Brian's toys. They're cataloged from those days. And you should see how low... Their prices are. It's very, very sad. But at the time, <laughs> as an 18-year-old guy, yeah. I was making $3 an hour. I couldn't afford a $10 uh, carded figure, you know, from Return of the Jedi. And now those figures are, you know, a quadruple of what they were back 30, uh, 20 years ago. 
Right. I think, Chris, Chris we all have our, our missed opportunity stories for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's just how are we going to – it's it's all about how we deal with them, you know, how we deal with those missed opportunities. It, I try not to overanalyze too much, you know. <laughs> Probably a best, the best thing to do, yeah. Yeah. Hey, uh, Chris, one of the things we were talking about after watching the movie and watching all the extras was um, one of the things we, we thought that you could put into maybe the next film is all the people that you interview who have collections. If you could show their collections, because I know as collectors, we always love to see how people display stuff and, and everything like that. And we thought that would be a cool extra. All these different people you interview show their collections off. It, it, we would enjoy that anyway. So. You know, I, I think that I think that would be a good idea. Um, the first documentary that you know we did, we had a little bit more of that, and I, I think that's why you didn't really see that in the Force Within Us. It would have definitely been a, a great bonus feature. And and there's a lot of I I would still like to. I don't know why I didn't interview Gus and and Duncan. Um, I don't know Gus very well, but I, I communicate with Duncan, you know, through Facebook. And, and that, and I and I see him around, and um, I think those guys would have really fit into the force within us. But I heard Gus's collection is just phenomenal. Oh and, yeah, um, he's got it. He's got <laughs> a couple, he's got a couple it's, cool things. Yeah, it's okay. It's all right, Chris. I'm I'm not sure if 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 I even told you where we're all at, but we are all in Seattle. <laughs> Okay, and, and so, I, uh, Gus, we actually Gus, see Gus's collection Seattle. pretty regularly. <laughs> I live like uh, I think ten or fifteen minutes away from Gus. Okay, okay, I didn't know that Gus was out in Seattle, so <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, yeah. I'm sure you guys see each other quite a bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I I think I'm I I live the furthest away. I live in Olympia. That's the only reason is because uh, Ryan's got a restraining order against me. <laughs> And Gus uh, has Gus a restraining order against all of us. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> so really what you were saying, Ryan, is it, I, I think I should come to Seattle and just film all of your guys' collection <laughs> and have that in the bonus feature for the next film. I think that would be cool. <laughs> Why not? But uh, Come on yeah, over. But but you can't you can't film the uh, Galaxy of Toys studio because after we saw Jimmy Max set up, <laughs> this <laughs> what I've got going on here is a is kind of a joke. <laughs> You know, I saw all his his like his recording setup. I'm like, wow, that's. I know he's a radio professional, so that has a lot to do with it as well. But. Yeah, yeah, and, and, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he. I, I think uh, I think that was definitely a plus for him working in the radio business. But I tell you, man, his collection, the way it's displayed, it's funny. When when I watched the movie with his son, he's like, "Why do you have stuff in display cases?" And I'm like, "Did you see the dust in your dad's room?" <laughs> <laughs> you know how hard it is to dust around all that stuff in Jimmy Max's room. It's I, I like I like the display cases. That's how I display my stuff, just because I, I only have to really dust it once a year. You know. Mm. So so, <laughs> were were Jimmy Max uh, two boys? Were they really okay that they had to share a room? <laughs> you know what? They, they they really were. They really were. <laughs> Not, none none of that was staged. Nothing was. Um, about um i thought that was very very crazy that they do share a room but i think that's the way jimmy make raised those kids you know <laughs> <laughs> you know that's that scene with jimmy's wife um i was i wanted to go see the first documentary I made was all it was a lot of talking heads it was too many like people talking and and that was it 
there wasn't enough um, re- like slice of reality TV. And Jimmy's wife was talking to him in the kitchen. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm like, hold up. I'm like, why don't you leave the room? I said, I don't want to do this scripted, but why don't you just come in with the laundry basket again and just start, you know, ranting and raving about stuff. So she came in and, you know, that, that's what she gave us, you know, her her bit, which I thought was one of my favorite parts of the film, just because it was very, um, uh, it was it was a slice of life, you know. I mean, it really captured uh, what that family's all about. I was watching it with a friend of mine the other day, and he's like, did you realize that Jimmy's wife is wearing a Star Wars shirt, but not Jimmy? And I said, that's crazy, man. <laughs> I, I, ne- I never noticed. I never noticed that, you know. Yeah, Jimmy's uh, Jimmy's kids they do share a room, and, and that's no joke. Yeah, and the uh, and, and for those listening, it's because the uh, the other room in their house is dedicated to Star Wars. <laughs> I love that man. That's inspiring. <laughs> you're Chris. You're going to have to uh, start consolidating your children into one room here pretty soon too. No, I got to talk to Jimmy Mac and find out how he how he talked to his wife about that. That's right. Yeah, that's going to go over like a lead balloon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Chris, now you you talked about your first film. I got to say, it's impossible to find, The Force Among Us. Yeah, it it, it, it really, really is. And um, it, it took me like four years to sell that thing out. I mean, I, I, I attended mm-hmm. every every little convention possible. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I personally, I'm not in love with the first film like I am the second one. And that's why I wanted to re redo it. And uh, when we re-release it, which was supposed to be before Christmas, but I think it's going to be more for the first of the year. So you're going to visually different, visually different. So you're going to re-release your first film before the third film comes out. Is that correct? Yeah, that that is correct. That okay. is correct. The uh, the third film is going to be all about the filming locations, which I think would be great to talk to Tom and talk to Gus uh, because they they had that experience. Um, and Ryan. And Ryan. And Ryan. We interviewed Robert Watts for The Force Within Us, but he's not in it that much, just enough, because all the stuff that he gave me, interview-wise, I'm, I'm going to use it for the third film. Uh, he talked a lot about the filming locations, and we have a lot of footage from all the places that we went to that, you know, is, is really unused. We, we weren't able to use everything from Tunisia, Death Valley, Smith River, mm-hmm. Norway. Um, and then we're going to go to Italy. We're going to make the prequel trip and, you know, b- bring that in to it. Uh, it. I think Italy was beautiful, you know, Caserta's Palace and Lake Como, you know, episode two was definitely one of the worst films I've ever seen. <laughs> but, uh, as far, as far, when it comes to filming locations, they're, they're, they're all cool. You know, Tom goes back to Italy often and, and re relives his, uh, episode two, uh, memories. Jason, I've been to Italy, but, uh, <laughs> I will probably not go to Caserta. You should. Yeah. Lake Como is not on my, uh, not on my roadmap. Uh, Chris. Oh, Tom, you could oh. still hit it as a James Bond location at least, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I guess so. Maybe. I think when I when I told my 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 director of photography when I told him that his wife was coming and when I told my wife that she was coming they were they were not another pro force among us three because <laughs> they're like hey we get to go to Italy so yeah I'm like all right all right we'll we'll do this you know it's not the lo- it's not the location's fault guys it's yeah right. it's just such horrible horrible movies <laughs> I'm sure we'll have a we'll, we'll, We'll probably be able to reenact those scenes better than if they were 
better than they were filmed, you know? <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Now, more, there, more chemistry. There have been a lot of uh, rumors, and, and, you know, who knows how much merit there are to any of these rumors, but that New Mexico might be a filming location for Episode 7. If that came to be, maybe you would consider going there? Oh, absolutely. You know, if there's a location that is announced for Episode 7, we, we are going to go there. Mm-hmm. The thing about, um, you know, like when you talk about Episode 3, all that was filmed in, in, in a studio, you know. I mean, yeah. 99% of it was, you know. And then the end scene, of course, was filmed when they were filming Attack of the Clones, Right. You know, in, in Tunisia. Um, but yeah, we're going to keep our eyes open, keep our ears open, and we're shooting for a force. Uh, the force around us is the third movie. We're shooting for a 2015 release, and uh, people can still get the force within us. Only a thousand copies were made. We're very, very low. Um, we sold over 800 copies since March, and uh, you can get that on the website at theforceamongus.com. Well, cool. Cool. Yeah, very cool, very cool. Keep searching for The Force Among Us. It, it will be re-released, and uh, do not pay $80 on Amazon. Right. Well, I was looking, yeah, I was, when, when I got your, you know, when I got your second film, I was thinking, well, I should watch the first one as well before we talk to you. But, uh, you know, they were on eBay for, you know, $80, $95, and I was like, well, you know, <laughs> it's just kind of crazy. It, it's kind of cool that. You know, the secondary market is, you know, mm-hmm. um, charging $100 for my first film. I think that's kind of uh, cool. <laughs> but I, I would not pay. I would not advise anybody to pay so, that. Wait price. wait for the re-release then. Wait, you wait should, for, wait Chris, are you sure those aren't uh, sock puppet accounts that you've got on eBay there? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> making, making a little profit? Absolutely not. You know, I did sell some of our movies on eBay, but I sold them for... Uh, 1977 back in uh, 2007, 2008, just as another avenue for people to search Star Wars documentaries. And the thing is, the reason why this is not on Netflix is because it is an independent release. And Netflix, unfortunately, they ask that, you know, the, the film is picked up by a distribution company. And I remember talking to Anthony Forrest, who you guys might know as the Sand Trooper uh, that is to the convention circuit. He told me if I could sell 2,000 movies, I am the distribution company. So we, we've had a really hard time at the film festivals because film festivals just don't uh, like Star Wars-themed movies. Um, I am going to put the force within us in the film festival circuit next year, but the force among us got shut down by everybody. But it did well on its own. It did well on its own. But as far as the uh, the film festival circuit, they were just not interested in, in that sort of topic, you know, at all, um, which is unfortunate, but it's kind of the nature of the beast, you know? Interesting. Hmm. All right, guys. Well, I think that's going to wrap up our show for tonight. Yep. Remember, you can contact us at galaxyoftoys at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash galaxyoftoys. Listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher Smart Radio, and Zoom, for now at least. I want to thank... My co-hosts tonight, uh, Tom from IGrewUpStarWars.com. Ryan, I really wish you would kind of drop that uh, that uh, you know lawsuit you've got against me. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that next time I see you. But I can't get within twenty feet of you, so I guess we'll just have to yell at each other. Good, uh, good podcast, guys. Chris, uh, 
Good talking to you. I loved it. From JediBusiness.com, Chris B. Hey, thanks for having me. Chris, thanks for coming on. It was great listening to you. And uh, I'll talk to you all at uh, the next podcast. That's right. Which will be our year in re- year in review, 2013 in review. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> That's We're going to review the whole year. That's going to be something. The best and the worst. Well, I want to thank you guys for having me on the show. And, uh, Tom, it was nice to put a voice with the, uh, the, the face. And I, I love everything that you do, man. You're, you're uh, in the same vein as I am with, with the whole nostalgic Star Wars thing. And um, I hope you guys uh, get everything you want for Christmas. And uh, have, a, uh, have a good holiday. And, uh, and a safe uh, safe New Year as well. And thank you so much for having me on the show. And one more time, how do, pe- how do people get your movie if they want it? How do they get it? Uh, the only way to get it is theforceamonguss.com. That obviously is the name of the old, uh, the first documentary. We're still using the website. There is under 200 copies left. They will sell out. And like you said, Jason, the first one was hard to find. The uh, second film, once it's gone, it's going to be a bitch to find. All right, then get it now if you want it. From Bendems to the Black Series, he collects them all. Ryan. All right, thank you. Um, and Tom, it, it's you, you just can't uh, do that those sorts of things to Bendems. I mean, that's that's what lands you in court for things like that. Okay. <laughs> Listen, I didn't know you had a camera the, turned the, on. All right. Is somebody going to seize my computer for these tapes for these for these <laughs> show tapes? Well, there, there is a subpoena on the way, but it's... Uh... <laughs> right. Chris, as you can see, the shenanigans never end here, and they never and they never will. No, hey, I'm looking, absolutely I'm looking not. forward to uh, filming you guys out in Seattle for, for yeah. the next... For yeah, and sure. hey, and when you're ready to... Come on up. Yeah, hit us up when you're ready to re-release your film, and we'll have you on again. Yeah, hey, that'd be great. That'd be yeah. great, Jason. All, All right. right. Well, uh, for Galaxy of Toys, this is Jason. Good night, but not goodbye. I've never been so busy before. It seems Christmas arrives sooner each year. Christmas in the stars, Christmas in the stars. What a merry Christmas this will be. Christmas in the stars, out among the stars, lighting up a Christmas tree. Come on, everyone, and sing. Everyone will be delighted, even I am quite excited, getting ready for Christmas in the stars. Yes, Artu, of course it's terrific, but there's more. Everyone will have a cookie. I bought extra for the Wookiee. I just hope that everybody can be here. If they all have marked the date, and if none of them is late, we'll have our greatest of Christmases this year.
what is that droid floating? Because he is wearing hover skates. Take those off, R5-D4. You're supposed to build the toys, not play with them. If they're not ready by Christmas, as Claus will be furious. I agree, R2. We had better help them. Look, perhaps Chewie can help, too. Watch out, R5-D4. What is that? That, my silly friend, is the sound of bells. <laughs>